Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, I mean, it's just been this giant science experiment that none of us wanted to be part of, but we are. Um, and so, you know, what it really showed me is that everything that we thought was true was more true than we possibly imagined. Like, we knew that people's habits, um, in a way, they're very, they really stick, but on the other way, they can be kind of fragile. And I think one of the things that happened to a lot of people is they maybe had a really great, great habit of eating healthfully or exercising regularly or going to bed on time or keeping their kids off of screens. And then when everything changed so dramatically, so suddenly with the pandemic, many people's habits were just wiped away. Där hörte du ett av mina största förebilder, nämligen Gretchen Rubin. Jag heter Sara Lossius och episode 160 av Ingefär podcast har jag glädje av att skickligt till att dela med dig. Gretchen Rubin, hon har haft hela fem böcker på New York Times bestsellerlista och har en prisvinnande podcast kallt Happier. Gretchen skriver och snakker och delar om vanor och lycka eller habits och happiness som det heter på engelsk och menar att det inte är er en uppskrift som passer alla. Hvis vi känner oss selv, kan vi enklare lage gode vaner och rutiner som ger ett gott och långt liv. Jag har varit fan av Gretchen i över år efter att jag läste boken hennes The Happiness Project och i boken min lite lyckligare hänvisar jag till en annan av hennes böcker nämligen The Four Tendencies som vi pratar en del om i denna samtalen. Kort förklart är er det fyra olika personlighetstyper som beskriver hvordan vi reagerar på förväntningar. Yttre förväntningar är er vilka förväntningar andra har till dig, det vare sig chefen din, barn, vänner, partner eller vad du tror att samhället förväntar dig. Indre förväntningar är er vad du förväntar dig selv, och de fyra olika personlighetstyperna reagerar olikt på yttre och indre förväntningar. Jag syns rammeverket ger nyttig självinsikt i vad du kan önska och jobba mer ingående med för att ändra eller etablera vanor. För mig, det snackar vi en del om i samtalen så har det varit skikligt nyttigt. I den episoden med Gretchen pratar vi också om hur man upprätthåller goda vanor under en pandemi, att det att ta vare på sig selv i tuffa och gode tider är er viktigt. Vi pratar om värdien av att göra små ting ofta och att Gretchen skiftet karriär mittvägs i livet. Hun var en succesfull advokat och blev författare på heltid. Och som hun säger, det tog henne många år att bli en overnight success. 
Jag är er helt säker på att du får masse nyttig input fra samtalen med Gretchen och vill du höra mer fra henne så kan du höra på episode 76 ungefär för hun har ju gästat podcasten min för. Och så kan du höra på hennes podcast Happier. I show notes är er det link till vilken personlighetstyp du är er, och till mitt nyhetsbrev Klemopep som ger ukentlig klapp på skuldern och spark bak till dig och till Marcel och som ofta egentligen handlar om vaner. Men nu över till fantastiska Gretchen Golit. Hi Gretchen, I'm so grateful to have you on my show again. Oh, I'm so happy to be talking to you. I think it's maybe three years since last time or something. You know, time has lost all meaning. It feels shorter and longer. Than it is. Ago, but yeah, I think you're right. So I've been following you for actually eight years now. Uh, and I've learned a lot from you. And I want to have, um, uh, I think we just should dive in. Okay. Great. Yeah. But before we start to talk about habits and happiness, I think it's crucial to start to talk about the four tendencies. Uh, oh, good. Yeah, let's talk mm-hmm. about the four tendencies. Yes. Okay, so I'll be, give a brief description um, so that listeners can kind of know what they are and also what they themselves are, because it's a lot more interesting to hear about it when you know if you're an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, a rebel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will say that if you if you want to take a quiz that will sort of give you an answer and a little report, you can take the quiz at quiz.gretchenrubin.com. And more than 3 million people have taken this quiz. It's free and quick. Um, but I'll describe them right now. And most people know what they are right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So what the tendencies look at is a narrow but significant aspect of your nature. And that's how you respond to expectations, which sounds dry, but is actually really juicy. So we all face two kinds of expectations, outer expectations, like a work deadline, a request from a boss, and inner expectations, my own desire to write a novel in in my free time. So depending on how we respond to outer and inner expectations, whether we meet them or resist them, that's what makes us an upholder, questioner, obliger, rebel. So um, upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important or more important. So their motto is, discipline is my freedom. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. Like me. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I'm married to a questioner. Love the questioners. I have many questioners in my life. Uh, Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. They resist anything arbitrary, inefficient, unjustified. They have to know why. They tend to love research and information. Uh, they love to customize because they want to make everything like as, as optimally efficient as they can. And so they're making everything an inner expectation. If something meets their inner standard, they will do it no problem. If it fails their inner standard, they will push back. So their motto is, I'll comply if you convince me why. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So these are people who say, I always keep my promises to other people. Why can't I keep my promises to myself? And I got my insight into this tendency when a friend said to me, you know, it's so strange. I know I'm happier when I exercise. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Well, when she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up, she never missed track practice. But now that she's just trying to go on her own, it's a struggle. 
So the key for obligers is if there is a, if they want to meet an inner expectation, they have to create outer accountability. If you want to read more, join a book group. If you want to exercise more, work out with a trainer or work out with a friend who'll be annoyed if you don't show up or raise money for a charity or think of your duty to your future self, you have to have outer accountability. So their motto is, you can count on me and I'm counting on you to count on me. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do. They can do anything they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they are very likely to resist. And typically, they don't tell themselves what to do. Like, they don't sign up for a 10 a.m. exercise class on Saturday morning because they think, I don't know what I'm going to want to do on Saturday. Just the idea that someone is expecting me to show up is going to annoy me. So their motto is, you can't make me, and neither can I. Um, and they're not the same number of tendencies. The biggest tendency for both men and women is the obliger tendency. You either are an obliger or you have many obligers in your life. The second largest is questioner, your tendency. The smallest is rebel. And the second and only slightly, small, slightly larger is my tendency, which is the upholder tendency. Rebel and upholder are like the two extreme tendencies. Um, obligers and questioners are much bigger categories. But you also write that uh, you can have a tendency and then have a slight some. I think I'm a questioner with some rebel inside me because ah. I really resist what other says to me, even though I know they're right. Okay, you're exactly right. So every tendency, if you think of it, every tendency overlaps with two tendencies. So if you're a questioner questioners in a way overlap with upholders so because they both meet inner expectations but rebels all that questioners also overlap with rebels because they both resist outer expectations so depending on which way you tip it kind of flavors your tendency you're still a true questioner so like my husband is a questioner who tips to upholder as a, and you're a questioner who tips to rebels so you're both questioners but you both might like say something like a speeding limit For questioners who tip to rebel, they often are like really bothered by like the arbitrariness, as they see it, of a speeding limit. It's like, why is it that we all drive the same speed? Or, or somebody gives you a rule and you're like, I really am not going to follow that rule unless I'm, unless it makes sense to me. Whereas a rebel who tips to upholder, I mean, a questioner who tips to upholder tends to be more understanding of like, okay, I get it. They don't resist those kind of rules as much. I will say that one of the most famous questioners who tips to rebel is Steve Jobs. So that's somebody who shares um, your particular makeup. So, hmm. um, so that's good company. That's good company. And I also think that there's no uh, better tendency than others. All the tendencies oh. are pros and cons. Can you tell me about that? Oh, that's absolutely right. And I'm so glad that you pointed that out because sometimes people will say, well, what's the best tendency or what's the most successful tendency or who makes the best leaders or who's the most creative? And you're exactly right. It's not a matter of one being better than the other, because all these categories include people who are wildly successful and also big losers. Um, what you see is that the most, the happiest, healthiest, most successful, most productive people are those who have figured out how to harness the strengths of their tendency and offset the weaknesses and limitations of their tendency, where they've gotten themselves to a place where their tendency, their strengths are recognized and rewarded and kind of like let fly free Um, and, and avoided situations where their tendency might cause them an issue. So for instance, if you're an obliger and you really thrive when you have a demanding boss and a, and a team that counts on you and a lot of deliverables, 
Well, you want to get yourself into a work environment that gives you that. Because if you're in a place where you're like, oh, hey, just come back in six months and show us what you got. Or like, or maybe you go freelance and you don't have any students, clients, or customers just yet. And you're kind of floating out there and feeling paralyzed. Well, when you know your tendency, you can say, it's not that I can't do great work. It's I need to create a circumstance that's going to allow me to tap into the immense strength of my tendency um, and maybe offset something that is not working for me. I really, I think um, when I found out that I was a questioner, I started to set limits for myself to do my research. Like when going on holiday, I could spend months in researching and now I have four days and then I'm going to book. Not that we go on holidays these days, but yeah. yeah. No, that you're pointing out something that's a big issue with many questioners, which is analysis paralysis. This is when the desire for perfect information and kind of that love of research means that it's hard to move forward or to make a decision. And you've used one of the classic strategies that questioners can use, which is a deadline. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give myself four days. And at the end of four days, I'm just going to make the best choice because it's not efficient to keep going. Mm -hmm. Another thing is limits. Like you can interview 10 people for this job, but not 20 people for this job. And sometimes trusted authority. It's like, look, I could spend the rest of my life researching the best mountain bike to buy. But I have this friend who's super into mountain bikes and he tells me this is the best one. I can trust his judgment. I can trust his research because this is somebody whose uh, authority and judgment I really trust. Mm -hmm. So I can kind of delegate the research to this person. I don't have to reinvent the wheel because for some questioners, the appeal of doing that research can really interfere with uh, moving forward. Yeah, I have spent so, so, so much time doing research without moving forward, as you say. So that made me... It's frustrating. It is. And I, many of us are spending time at home now. We are both in our home offices. So how can we use our tendencies to communicate better with our partners? I know that your husband is a questioner and you yes. use that when you communicate with him. Yes. I have learned with my husband, and maybe you feel the same way, is I can't ask him to do anything. I can't even ask him a simple question if I don't explain why I'm asking. He doesn't like to just answer questions. Um, it really annoys him and it annoys me when he won't answer me. So I always have to say, like, why am I asking? So it's like, what time are you leaving? Because I need to know if I have time to go to the gym. Not that we're going to the gym, but that kind of thing. Or, uh, you know, um, what what are you cooking? Because I want to know how big a lunch I should eat. Or, or you know, uh, or what are you cooking? I want to know if there's going to be leftovers tomorrow for me to have for lunch. Because he won't, even if I said something like, what are you making for dinner? He will, he often just won't tell me. He'll say something like food. Um, and this used to make me crazy until I really understood that this is a question or thing. So if I explain why, and here's another example, like someone was just telling me how she said um, to her partner, hey, look, we really need to clean out the basement this weekend. And he was like, why? Why should we clean out the basement? We never use it. Why do we have to do it this weekend? you want the basement clean. Why don't you do it? Why do I have to do it? Like, why is this my problem? And then she said something like, oh, you know, now that we're spending so much more time at home, if we cleaned at the basement, then the kids would have more room to play. And I know that you have this big conference call coming up next week. And if we clean up the basement this weekend, then we'll have this space for the kids to go. So they'll be out of your way. And it's much less likely that you're going to be disrupted when you're on this important call. Okay. You've explained to me why we're doing this. 
why we're doing this now, why it matters to me, and why it makes sense. Once you say it, it's like, that makes good sense. Or maybe you can say something like, well, I don't think that's going to work. And we can argue about like the rationale of it, but just throwing it out there. Whereas if, if my husband came to me and said like, hey, let's clean up the basement this weekend, I'd be like, okay. I mean, I would just say, okay, <laughs> which is why it's kind of nice to be married to an upholder. But I've learned I need to ask questions. Why? Mm. Because I too readily do things that maybe I, why am I doing them? So um, I think I think we can all really learn and gain from questioners because they're the people that help us stop wasting our time, energy, or money doing things that don't make good sense. Well, that made me feel good. But what about <laughs> <laughs> what about our kids? How do we uh, know what tendency they are? I have three kids, and two of them are six and seven. So yeah. do I know already? Well, you know, I will say that it can be hard to tell children because children aren't, uh, you know, they're not as, uh, as they don't have the level of autonomy that adults have. So it can be harder to see. But for many, many tendencies, it's very obvious when a child is like three years old. Um, mm. Many, many people like I hadn't invented this, the, this system um, when my daughters were younger, but like my younger daughter now is an upholder. And I would have known that from the time she was very, very small. Maybe also because I'm an upholder. So like I recognize what it looks like right away. Mm. Um, so sometimes it's hard, but sometimes it's quite easy. Um, and it's really helpful if you can tell what your child's tendency is, or if you if you feel like you can't tell, it's still good to be thinking about like, well, given the things that I'm doing that are working or are not working effectively as a parent, mm. if there's something I can learn about what I think their tendency is or, or kind of try to um, accommodate their nature as I'm setting things up for them. Because I, I think for a lot of parents, they're kind of like, well, this is the best way. Every parent should use a chore chart. Every parent should use a sticker reward chart. Every parent should uh, make a schedule for their kids and really reinforce routine. Okay, that works really well for some children, but it doesn't work at all for some children. Mm. And so if you're frustrated or you see that your child is becoming frustrated, understanding the tendencies could allow you to set something up differently. For instance, I have a friend who had a child who was really very gifted musically, but she just didn't practice the piano, you know, and we all know you have to practice. And, um, and so and she was a rebel child. And so my friend realized with a rebel, you can't say you have to, you promised me, your teacher will know if you haven't done it. You can't reward them. You can't punish them because these are all attempts to control, which is what rebels don't want to be controlled. Um, but rebels are very, very, they are so in touch with their identity. They always want to put their identity out into the world. They want to do things from freedom and choice and love. Um, so they're very, like, they're very in touch with what they want. And so my friend said to her daughter, wow, I see the piece of music that your teacher left for you. And I don't think many 10-year-olds can play something that challenging, but I hope I get to get see you up on stage performing that because you are such a beautiful performer. It's up to the child, right? Mm. Are you going to be the one who's the musician, who's the performer, who's blowing people away with what you can do? Because if you are, you got to practice because that's what it takes. And you know that just like everybody else in the world knows that. Mm. Is that who you are? Is that who you want to be? Is that what you want? Because if you want it, you can have it. But you can't make that child do it because the more you try to make them do it, the more you ignite the spirit of resistance. And a child who might very well choose to practice may not may not practice because they don't want to feel controlled. And that sounds, to the other three tendencies, that sounds very kind of contradictory hmm. and, and, and obstinate. 
but to a rebel, they really just don't want to be controlled and they don't understand why other people just like keep interfering with them and getting in their way. A lot of times if you're dealing with a rebel, it's better to step back. I've heard from many people who like many rebels who said, oh, I would always choose to make my bed as a kid because I like having my room all like organized. But if I heard my parent yell up like, don't forget to make your bed, I would just throw the covers back. Yeah. Because I'm not going to make, I was going to make my bed because I wanted to, but I'm not going to do it because you told me to. And I don't want to make it sound like rebels can't be successful. They can be wildly successful. Um, but often other people kind of get in their way. Uh, whereas if you had a questioner child, you would really want to focus on the why, why. And I heard a very poignant story about a boy, a, a man now, somebody my age. He was a boy and he loved soccer and uh, he had a great coach. And then he got a new coach. And because my friend played goalie, so the coach had this new set of exercises he wanted everybody to do. And my friend went to him and said, oh, coach, I think I should do different exercises because I'm a goalie. So I have like a whole different set of skills that I need. And the coach said, look, I'm the coach. Everybody on my team does the same drills. This is what I'm telling you to do, like get in line. And so my friend quit because the questioner, he's like, because I say so, it's just a totally illegitimate reason to do anything. It didn't make any sense to him. So he's like, why am I going to waste my time doing a bunch of dumb drills that do not help me as a goalie? Whereas if that coach had said to him, hey, I get it, you know, but I have studied the, the, the systems of the greatest soccer teams and coaches in across the world. And what they have found is that the same skills work no matter what position you play. Skills, speed, accuracy, just as important for you as a goalie. I've carefully chosen these drills to help you build those skills. And so that's why I'm asking you to do it. Well, then my friend would have been like, oh, that's great. Because I want to do whatever it takes to be a great goalie, as long as I know that it makes sense for me. And so like a five minute conversation could have kept that that person playing soccer for years and instead he quit that day. But I think as a parent, this also uh, you have to communicate uh, with other like um, the two girls. I, I think I have a questioner and I think I have a rebel. So do yeah, I feel, I know, but it's, you it's have like rebel parts you, so maybe you get it. That's good. Many rebels say it's an advantage to have a rebel parent. Yeah, hopefully, but it's I have to communicate quite differently with the yes. two girls yes. with that. Yeah, so one well, I have to give reason, and the other one I have to leave alone almost. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I think as parents we often think that fairness means treating everybody the same, and is it fair if like mm -hmm. one you know, you're treating, you're, you're sort of dealing with one child in a different way. But as you say, it's just like, that's kind of what it takes. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work to have a one size fits all solution. It just does. It's just not effective. It's not. Uh, and it's, it's frustrating for the parents. It's frustrating for the children. And, and I do think that sometimes knowing this vocabulary helps because it makes it kind of impersonal. It's not like you're right, I'm wrong, or you're better, I'm worse, or you should be able to do this and you shouldn't, or you can't do it this way, so we'll make a special exception for you. It's more like, given the kind of person you are, maybe this is, this works better for you. It's mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of people, who, whatever you're like, there's a lot of people in the same situation. Like, let's try something that they have good success with. Mm -hmm. There's nothing judgmental about that. It's just like, oh, let's just let's just do what works. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And that brings me over to something you have written. The better we know ourselves, the more readily we can construct a life that will work for us. Yes, because sometimes it really, I see like an obliger, like, you know, thinking like, I just need to want it. I just need to make myself the priority. I just need more self-care. I just need to get more clarity in my, you know, what I want. And it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I'm not saying it's not a good idea. I'm just saying it doesn't, it just doesn't work because what they need is outer accountability. So when you know yourself, you can give yourself that outer accountability. And then all of a sudden you can achieve all your aims so much less, with so much less effort. Um, and with so much more success because you've set things up that are right for you. Whereas, see, you're a questioner, so something like accountability, you might like it. It might be useful to you in some situations, but probably you don't even really need it. And so no, I need it if I understand the reason why, but I don't, yeah. Yeah, and so it's time and energy to build mm. in accountability. Mm. So, like, yeah, maybe you don't need that. Mm. I want to talk about habits and happiness now. So uh, what has surprised you the most about habits and happiness during the last year? Well, I mean, it's just been this giant science experiment that none of us wanted to be part of, but we are. Um, And so, you know, what it really showed me is that everything that we thought was true was more true than we possibly imagined. Like we knew that people's habits in a way they're very, they really stick, but on the other way there can be kind of fragile. And I think one of the things that happened to a lot of people is they maybe had a really great, great habit of eating healthfully or exercising regularly or going to bed on time or keeping their kids off of screens. And then when everything changed so dramatically, so suddenly with the pandemic, many people's habits were just wiped away. So if you went to the gym during your lunch hour from work, because it was across the street from your office, but now you work from home, it's like you have to completely rebuild that habit of exercise. And I think for a lot of people, it took them a while to realize how these habits have just been wiped away. You know, like I am not exercising at all, or I am not eating healthfully at all, or, but for many people, they were their habits improved and that was one of the things that was really interesting about this period was that for some people i mean apart from like things like illness being a frontline worker losing your job or being afraid that you're losing your job just kind of in terms of like what's happening inside your house for some people things got worse and for some things in some ways things got better i heard from many many people who have said look i'm eating so much more healthfully now because i don't have my long commute So it's much easier for me to cook healthy meals and to kind of like plan ahead and, and like, you know, cook and freeze things and like be organized and mindful about what I pick and use fresher food. And I'm not ordering takeout. I'm spending less money. I'm not, you know, um, but I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to do that once 
everything kind of starts up again and I'm living the life that I had before. And so it's just been, it surprised me how something's got better, something's got worse. And I think the challenge for all of us is to figure out what, what, what can we learn from the things that kind of work better? And then also how do we lean into the things that we really missed? Mostly human connection, obviously. <clears throat> this is the thing that everybody is talking about. We just crave connection, whether that's, you know, hugging your parents or sitting in a crowded coffee shop and working and just having kind of the friendly kind of, uh, you know, hubbub of a bunch of people sitting together in the same room, which is very, very, you know, many people find very pleasant. Um, you know, going to a big event with lots of people doing something, mm -hmm. um, we really miss that. And so um, I think that, I think everyone has become much more aware. And uh, my next book is about the five senses. And one of the things that's been interesting is how COVID has really focused people's attention on the sense of smell mm -hmm. and taste because that has been such a uh, kind of strong and surprising indicator and symptom that people are experiencing. And I think many people, I have a friend who lost her sense of smell for several months because of COVID. And she was describing to me what a loss it was. I think people are much, much more aware of how precious our sense of smell is mm -hmm. um, now that so many people are, are experiencing its loss or fearing that they might experience its loss. Mm -hmm. um, but I find habits around self-care is really important these days, just because yeah. everything is unsure and then taking yeah. care of myself uh, is, I think it's uh, more important than ever. So I try to work out every day almost just because I really like it and I, I feel energized uh, and I also eat fairly well. Um, and that gives me a sense of um, calming down in this the, the times we are in. What do you think about uh, self-care? Well, I think it's absolutely crucial for, for a number of reasons. I mean, one you pointed out um, is that you're sort of controlling what you can control. You can't control the pandemic. You can't control the timeline, but you can control kind of your own body um, to some extent. And so it's, it's kind of, you have that feeling of control and sort of predictability. I don't know what's going to happen two months from now, but I know that I can go for a run tomorrow morning and I know that's going to make me feel better. Um, also, you know, um, the things that we need to take care of ourselves tend to make us like calmer, healthier, boost our immune function. And all of these are so important to us right now. And so, you know, and you see how people's health has really affected their susceptibility to the coronavirus. And so um, by really taking the time to take care of yourself, you really are. I mean, somebody was saying to me, if you don't take time for your wellness, you'll be forced to take time for your illness. Um, and I think there's a lot to that where it's just like, it's good at any time of our life, but now more than ever, it's good to like try to build in the building blocks of health and energy. And I mean, as you pointed out in your examples, it's these things all work together in a virtual cycle. If you exercise, you tend to sleep better. If you sleep better, you tend to heal faster and have better working memory and focus. If you have better sleep and better energy, I mean, better sleep and better exercise, you're going to have more energy. And when you have more energy, life just feels easier. You have a better sense of humor. You have more patience for other people. You're less irritable. Uh, you're more likely to do things that are kind of effortful, but that will end up making you happier, like making a photo album of last year's photographs. It's like, oh my gosh, it feels like this kind of, that's a big chore. 
Mm -hmm. Even though I know it would make me happier, if I'm feeling drained and overwhelmed, maybe I just, I'll be like, oh, I'm going to flop down and watch TV. I can't figure, I can't face that. Whereas if I have more energy, I'll be like, let me do this. Because I know in the end, it'll, it'll make me much happier than like just watching TV for a couple of hours. But I have to have the energy, like the mental wherewithal to do it. Um, so I think you're absolutely right um, that taking the time, to, you know, there's such a cliche about, you know, when you get on an airplane, they say put on your own oxygen mask first, mm -hmm. because that's what allows you to be helpful to other people. And it's a cliche because it's true. It is true that when we take care of ourselves, then we're better able to take care of other people as well. In the uh, Better Than Before manifesto, you write that what we do every day matters more than what we do once in a while. Yeah. And that's maybe even more important now than ever. Well, it kind of works both ways because yeah. it's like if you eat healthfully most days, it doesn't matter as much if like from time to time you kind of you know, have a lot of unhealthy food. And, but on the other hand, like if you almost never exercise and then every once in a while you go on a seven mile run, that's not going to be as good for you as kind of consistent, you know, running for a shorter distance. So, but it's funny though, there's kind of a paradox because for many people that don't break the chain method where you really try to do something every single day and never miss one day is very powerful. So if you like, don't break the chain, it is a really useful tool. But then you also have to remember that if you do break the chain, it's not a big deal. Don't feel like, oh, I blew it. Now I'm like back to zero. My habits are worth nothing. I should like do whatever I want because I because I blew it. No, you should be like, oh, what I do matters. Most days matters more than what I do once in a while. And I broke the chain here, but I'm going to get right back into the chain tomorrow. As I understand, you write every day, don't you? I do. Yeah. Do you write in the mornings or do you have a, how do you do it to keep, because you write a lot. I, I do write a lot. I'm a real morning person. Mm -hmm. um, so I always do original writing first thing because that's what I'm at my freshest. And when like the day is the quietest. And then as the day moves on, I start moving to kind of lesser and lesser taxing tasks. Because a lot of times there's stuff that has to get done, but it's not particularly hard. It's just kind of like, uh, you know, a lot of steps or something. Um, so yeah, I will. And if I, if I'm in a period of intense writing, I'll often wake up earlier uh, to give myself more of that morning slot because it's a morning person that really is very precious time to me. Mm. So then you wake up one hour before, for example, to do it. Yeah. 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 So if I'm usually I wake up at six, but if I'm in kind of a, if I'm in kind of an intense period, I would wake up at five. I have a good friend that is, uh, she's a rebel and she's also a writer and she actually has the same habit as you have around writing. But you're an upholder and she's a rebel and you do the same, but from a different angle. It's really uh, interesting. No, 100%. And, and that's absolutely true. You kind of can't look at what someone does. You have to understand why they do it. Because mm. like I'm an upholder and I don't eat carbs, right? Like I don't eat sugar, flour, starchy vegetables. I don't eat fruit really, except for berries. Like I'm a real, like I'm very, very low carb, carbohydrate eater. Um, and I like that as an upholder, there's kind of these very clear rules and I kind of find it satisfying to stick to the rules, but I have a rebel friend who eats exactly the same way. And his attitude is 
they can't chain me with their processed food and they're trying to addict me with their, you know, their added sugars and they're trying to fool me and control me with their packaging and their big advertising campaigns. And everybody thinks I'm bonkers to eat in this extreme way, but I'll show them like I can go 10 years without eating a cookie. Like he does it in a rebel way. Now, if you looked at us, you would say, oh, they're doing exactly the same thing. What's in our mind is very different. So you're exactly right. You can't look at what somebody does. You have to understand like how they're thinking about what they do because it can lead you to the same place by a very different road. Mm. About happiness. Um, no, some words about motivation first because some of us, most of us or many, depends what your work is, but we are working from home and I know that many of my friends are in lack of motivation these days. What do you think about motivation? You think that, uh, I know you wrote that the good thing about habits is that you don't have to feel motivated each day? Yes, because I think you really can't expect to be motivated by motivation. Um, Mm -mm. Motivation to me is kind of a confusing term because it it combines two ideas. One idea is the desire for an outcome. I'm really motivated to exercise more. But it also implies that you're willing to do things that will make you achieve that aim. I'm really motivated to exercise more, kind of suggests that I'm gonna do something about it. But in fact, often people have an aim and they're not doing anything about it. That that confused me so much when I was writing better than before, when I started my research, because it seemed like motivation was completely irrelevant. And I think it is pretty irrelevant. And so what you wanna do is think about how to get yourself to do something, not worrying about your desire to do it, but just the sheer fact that you're doing it. You may be, you can, you can run every day and have no motivation to do it whatsoever in a way, but all you're doing is like, well, am I going to do it? So you, I think it really does help to, to focus on creating a habit because once a habit is created, you know, behavior runs on autopilot. You don't need to make a decision. You don't need to feel desire. You don't need to feel motivation. You don't need to make choices. You know, it's like, do you get up, do you decide whether to brush your teeth every morning? Do you say things to yourself like, I just really need to take time for myself. And so today I think, I think I'm gonna let myself off the hook today. I think I'm gonna give myself a day off from toothbrushing. I think I deserve that. Or do you say something like, well, I brushed my teeth yesterday, so I think I get a day off today. Or given the boss I have, do people think that I need to take time to brush my teeth? Or, you know, I'm gonna start brushing my teeth in March. And so I don't think I need to, like, why well, I've started brushing my teeth now because I'm going to be really good starting in March. It's like, we don't have those thoughts, right? And those often really interfere with our ability to keep a habit. Mm. If you're just like, I want to have the habit of brushing my teeth, then pretty soon you just do it automatically. You don't decide to do it. You don't think about it. You don't weigh it. You just get up and do it. And so that's where habits can be so helpful because mm. they get us out of that kind of motivation, decision-making uh, mode. That's so exhausting. And maybe do uh, the hardest thing first. Is that a trick or is that, does that work for some people and for some not? That works for some people and some not. Some yeah. people really like to like, they need the uh, kind of the affirmation that comes from checking things off the list. So they're almost better off starting with what's easiest and moving the way forward. They're very, they're very like that kind of accelerates them because they see the energy of everything they've accomplished. I have to say I'm with you. I always do the hardest thing first. That's how I get energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but with almost anything that you say with habits, 
for some people it works great and for other people the exact opposite works like one thing the thing that you often hear about in habits is tiny habits form a tiny habit brush you know gloss one tooth or like write one sentence that works great for some people but there are a lot of people who are like look i'm gonna go big or go home i'm gonna mm. train for the marathon or i'm staying on the sofa i'm not interested in like walking to the end of my block and back like who's gonna fuss with that it's not worth my time and my energy again it's like start small start big oh. neither one is better or worse than the other it's whatever works for you know yourself is the key know yourself yes mm. yes but you change career because you would rather fail as a as a writer than be a successful lawyer and i heard as far as i understand that your friends and family they didn't um uh, they didn't want you to succeed at once like they didn't uh what's the word demand overnight success yeah. could you tell us about that yeah no when I, so i was i was switching from law to writing and and i was in i had a, a really great career um starting as a lawyer i was clerking on the united states supreme court for justice sandra day o'connor um, when i decided that i wanted to be a writer and um you know uh and i was very fortunate because my friends and family were very supportive of me making a change and kind of taking a risk and starting over really starting over i had nothing to show for myself as a writer at that point um and my father said something to me that i found to be immensely comforting um but when i i repeated it to a friend and she thought that it sounded very undermining she was surprised that it didn't hurt my feelings and i was like absolutely not it really helped me my father said um that's great darling and you may not knock it out of the park the first time but you will get there and exactly as you say what he was reassuring to me is like the fact of how your first book does or your second book does does not determine whether this was the right decision or the wrong decision or whether you succeeded or failed mm. it's like and so it kind of took the pressure off of me to feel like you know uh, that every i was like staking my whole future on one project mm. it's like this might take time this and it often does take time with almost anything like and when i wrote the book the happiness project a lot of people thought that was my first book That was my fourth book. I've been a, I've been a, a professional writer for 10 years, you know. I was like many people, I was an overnight success after working for a decade. Uh but nobody saw that. Nobody no. saw the, that work. Um and so uh so I felt very fortunate that I felt free to kind of, you know, start uh you know, start where I started and just see where it, where I could go rather than feeling like, look, if I don't hit it big right away, um then this was a really bad idea and I made a mistake. The reason why I'm bringing it up is because many of us now are in insecure work situations and we yeah. might have to cr- uh, change our career. Yeah. So what's, what's your best advice for people uh, in that situation? Well, one thing I think is, is to think about your tendency and to think about the kind of st- situation in which you can thrive. So like if you're an obliger, obligers often really do struggle when they go freelance or when they, they are kind of off creating something with no accountability. So one thing that obligers will often do, like let's say they're, they've decided that they're going to uh, create an online course or they're going to offer courses by Zoom or you know something like that. Um, or they're going to be like a freelance photographer things like that the thing to do is to get yourself students or clients or customers or an audience that's waiting right away even before you have a product like you i i know somebody who wanted to write an ebook 
and she was stalling, stalling, stalling uh, about parenting. And so what she did is she called like five of her friends and said, oh, I'm writing this book about parenting and I want to quote you. And so then she interviewed her friends and then her friends were like, well, when is your ebook ready? Because I want to see like, I want to see myself in your book, essentially. So she had these people waiting or somebody said she had somebody else kind of in a similar situation, had a newsletter. And she said like, oh, the first 15 people who email me will get a free copy of my new online course. And so then these 15 people emailed her for the online course, which she had not yet created. So now she has to create it because it's like these 15 people are like, wait a minute, you promised me that I would get this for free. And like, where is it? Um, so you can, you can do funny. I know people who teach a class because like, I know somebody who teaches yoga because otherwise he would never do yoga. Um, so you can, um, you know, you want to think about what you need in order to succeed. If you're thinking about switching, um, if you're, if you think about switching, um, and then, you know, if you're a rebel, again, it's like, it's very much, what do you want? What do you choose? Think about what it is that you want and what it is that you choose. Um, and then with questioners, I would say, you know, the research is really important, but just as you were saying earlier, you can really, really spin out on research. And I kind of suspect that for many questioners, this is kind of an anxiety control thing that if they're feeling anxious, that might amplify their desire to research because that gives them a feeling of kind of control and like making right, the right decisions. People often when they're stressed kind of lean into their tendency, they find comfort in that. Like as an upholder, I find a lot of comfort in having a very, very rigid routine and kind of really following through on my expectations. So if you're a questioner and you're like, okay, I wanna start a newsletter, but I can do research, 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 research about what's the best platform, what's the best, consistent, you know, uh, a frequency, how much should I charge? What should I do? Should I include images? Like there's a million things. Mm. Uh, but I think your idea of like, okay, I'm going to give myself until Friday. I'm going to give mm. myself to the end of the month and then I'm going to just try it. And then I'm going to learn from there. I'm going to experiment and iterate. Mm. Um, so understanding kind of the, the strengths and the pitfalls of your tendencies can help you as you're constructing a new career for yourself. Cause mm. Could, you could avoid uh, potential challenges. It's funny that you mentioned newsletter because I've just launched my my newsletter, and uh, I have researched for ages. <laughs> and then no Jen, I that just it, had right? to set a deadline. No, 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 I can do research and research and research. And then I had a an, uh, a friend of mine who I trust. She said, "You have to do it now." And then yeah. I did it in four days. See, there you go. So look, look, you had a deadline, you had a trusted authority, mm. and you had a limit. You mm. know, that's that's perfect. If um, not, I would never have done it. I think. Well, and, but the thing that you can, if you feel that way as a questioner, you see a questioner kind of spinning out. One thing that is absolutely true, so it really works with questioners, is to say, "Look, at a certain point." The research is not, it's, 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 it's diminishing returns. You're not gaining big jumps in, in knowledge. What you need to do is try something. Don't get it perfect, get it going, and you'll see how it goes. You'll see how people respond. You'll see how you're responding. You'll see what works, what doesn't work, what the problems are, what the fixes are. And then you can iterate. Then you can, you can, you can make improvements based on actual experience. But when you're just doing research at a certain point, you're not really, you know, for every extra hour, you're not gaining like a big improvement in your in your knowledge. No, it um, it's a waste of time after a while, actually. It is. Yeah, it is. I, I was wondering if we could view this time as an invitation to search for meaning in our lives. 
because we have a lot of time at home, most of us. Yes, and I don't know about you, but I've heard from so many people who are making big life changes. Mm. And I'm always kind of like, oh, it's kind of an emergency situation, the time to make big life changes. But a lot of people have said, you know, I've been thinking about this for a long time and I just never really had time to sit down and really think it through. Or like, you know, I was just managing kind of the day to day. I didn't, I couldn't step back and see the big picture. And now I really feel like a lot of times it's people wanting to move. Mm. Um, a lot of times it's people wanting to switch careers. Um, I think people are grappling with certain kinds of regret um, and, and thinking like, I want to make a change now because I don't want to continue to have this regret. I think a lot of people are finding that there are things in their life that are not adding to their happiness or their or their productivity that they want to eliminate because they realize they've just been sort of running too fast and like cramming too much in that in the end wasn't giving them value and they're they're feeling how much they enjoy having kind of more space and more time. Mm. A lot of people are talking about traveling less. Yes. I think some people want to travel more. We want to travel more for fun and adventure and seeing people. But when it comes to just sheer work travel, yeah. a lot of people I think are like, look, a lot of this I can do on video. We don't need to travel as much and I'm not going to travel as much. Mm. And you see this in the workplaces where so many workplaces are talking about uh, having people just come in less frequently. Mm. Um, and you can see like if everybody was traveling less, then there'd be less there'd be less congestion. So then your commute would be shorter. So it'd be like, not only would you be commuting less, your commute would be easier. And so, but is that going to happen? I think we're all kind of eager to see like what's actually going to happen in the future. How's this all going to really play out? We're not knowing, we're not uh, at this stage, we don't know what the new normal is at all. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's really, strange and fearful and exciting to be in this moment of time because we do, we are we don't know at all what the future holds for us i think you're right i think people will be studying this for decades and decades to come to see mm. what i mean for instance i have teenage daughters and one of the things that you know from cognitive science is that teenagers are naturally night people and they they want to sleep later and stay up later that's just kind of their that's just very normal for their development uh, and, um, and, and they've done studies showing that when schools open later in the day, children perform better, they do better on tests, they, they have less truancy, uh, there's kind of like less fighting and less mischief. And I mean, my daughters are sleeping much later because their school starts later and they don't have to like get up and, and, and get, get to school. And I thought, I bet they're running all kinds of research to see what is the long-term effect on all these teenagers of getting this extra morning sleep? On the other hand, they're not getting all the social connections that teenagers crave. There's never a time in our life more than teenagers when our peers matter more to us and they're cut off from their peers. What's the effect of that? Um, all we will, there's, I'm sure people will study it and it will be fascinating to hear But right? As you say, we're not at the new normal yet. And we're no, we're not. We're fine. Before, um, I have uh, some statements that I was hoping you could address or comment on. I think you will recognize some of them. Uh, so the first statement is discipline equals freedom. Well, that's upholder. Yes, yeah. that's my motto. Yes, for an upholder, discipline means freedom. Yes. So, and uh, as we have talked about, that doesn't, uh, um, it's like a rebel would not have that quote at all. 
Well, it's, you know, it's funny. A really insightful rebel told me, you know, he said, for me, freedom is my discipline. And I thought yeah. that, that was such a, a perceptive thing to say, because they also might embrace discipline in order to get where they want to go, but they would do it from freedom. Mm. Uh, they would be doing it because that's what they chose. Mm. And so it is interesting that rebels, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, rebels and upholders are like the opposite of each other. And even our mottos are the opposite of each other. Um, even though they use the very same terms. Um, make it easy to do right and hard to go wrong. That's oh from you. Yes, this is like for habits. It's like change your surroundings, not yourself. If you want somebody to put their keys away in the same place, like have a place right by the front door to put the keys. Mm. We had a transformation in my house because no one ever hung up their coat. And so there were just coats lying all over the place. And then I realized that the problem was that we were all too lazy to use hangers. As ridiculous as that sounds. So I put a bunch of hooks up in our coat closet and now people use the hook. And so we just made it that much easier. Um, I was talking to somebody who didn't want to watch TV as much. So he put his remote control um, on a high shelf in another room away from the TV set. So that if he wanted to watch TV, he had like actually go get the remote control. He couldn't just like pick it up and flop down. And he said he watches so much less TV because it's like, it's not a default activity anymore. He has to make an effort to go get it. And so by making it a little bit harder um, to do, go wrong and a little bit easier to do right, he actually made a big difference in his behavior. That's what I do before Christmas because I, I make really, really, really good fudge. Ah. And uh, you shouldn't eat fudge every day. So then I put yeah. it in the freezer in the basement instead Very, of in the kitchen. Yes. Class. I mean... These little, they have done hilarious studies on how convenience affects what people eat. Even to the point, if you're at a salad bar that has tongs instead of a spoon, people will take less food because they can't be bought. They can't be bothered to use tongs, let alone to go down the stairs and open up the freezer and find the fudge. So yes, that's a, that's a brilliant solution. Slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. I mean, people sometimes lose patience and they 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 feel like now that i started i want to be done and sometimes they even think like i can't even bear how long it would take me to achieve the same so i'm never going to start because once i start i'm just going to feel really dejected about how long it's going to take but really like if you just do a little bit each day it is astonishing how much you get done you know i have this podcast the happier podcast and for 2021, we challenge listeners and ourselves to read for 21 days every day in 2021 because, you know, what, what makes you happier than reading? And what's really interesting is how many people have emailed, who emailed within the first month to say, I can't believe how much I've been reading. Like, I thought that this would be insignificant. I've read like seven books already. I didn't realize that I could get so much reading done in such a short amount of time. And so, 21 minutes each day, each day. 21 and 21. And the fact is, I think a lot of times we overestimate what we can do in a short amount of time, like one afternoon. Mm. And we underestimate what we can do if we do a little bit each day over the course of a month or a year. Mm. You know, if you if you read for 21 minutes a day for a year, that is a lot of reading. But on any one particular day, it's not particularly burdensome. And the last one is uh, some of the same. The days are long, but the years are short. And that is a typical Gretchen Rubin yes. sentence. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, it is the most difficult because of everything that I think I've ever written in my life. That is the thing that seems to have struck the deepest chords of people. Mm. Um, and that's just the feeling that, um, you know, 
uh, any individual day can seem like it goes on forever and ever, but then you look back and the years fly by. And I mean, I think this year more than ever, uh, the time just vanished. I'm like, do what happened in June? I don't even remember June or, you know, um, but each day felt long. Yeah. Well, Gretchen, it has been an honor to talk with you again. Thank you so much for this conversation. Oh, it's been so fun to talk to you. I feel like we could talk all day. Thank you so much for having me. We could. Det var en nydelig prat med selveste Gretchen Rubin direkt fra New York, eller ikke direkte da, men live on tape i hvert fall. Link til nettsiden hennes finner du i show notes i torsdagens shot. Får du vite mer om hennes morgenrutiner, vad som driver henne og gjør henne til et arbeidshjern og boktips. Inte vi hörs igen. Ta vare på dig själv och dig du var glad i. Det ser jag alltid och jag menar det. Ha det. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.